It is understanding property and I guess slightly broader these days. Ludmilla Yamalava from Yamalava and Plethka is with us. Ludmilla, always a great pleasure to see you. Nice to have you back. Great to be here. Um, let me see. Let's start. There are three things actually I wanted to bring up with you. And one that I think, I guess, surpasses uh, all, kind of usurps uh, the two positions, um, is VAT. And it's interesting this because we keep hearing. I hear that VAT is going to be 5%. And that is enshrined in law and that is matter of fact and that's how it is i also hear that it could be on where i live if i'm a landlord i'm going to have to pay but actually the case is hold on a moment uh, sit back and think about this because we don't know yet well exactly and this is what i wanted to clarify to listeners because it's very important to understand the background of where the vat so-called VAT law stands today. Right now, there is no law yet, and this is important to highlight. Um, there is a tax committee that has been formed officially, and that decision has been published in the Official Gazette. But in terms of VAT law itself and how it's going to be structured, how it's going to be drafted, and the various aspects of, of industries and businesses it will cover it has not yet been uh, drafted or published. Um, the last update from the officials was that it was that some sort of a draft was circulating at the uh, at the National Council, but uh, the Federal National Council, but it has not been so it has not progressed uh, from there. Therefore, there isn't even a draft yet for the public to to uh, to view or comment on. And until and what I'd like to caution listeners is until that law has actually been finalized and th- until we have something that's officially in print and has been published in the official gazette I would just caution anyone to make any drastic decisions about what they do or do not do with their businesses in anticipation of what this law may bring and the reason I say this is because as we've seen from our listeners uh, sending questions and obviously from a lot of newspaper coverage um, there have been a lot of questions and clearly misunderstandings about how imminent this law is and what it really mean and how how much, uh, what aspects of the business they will cover. And just today I had a client who came in and they want to restructure their whole business um, in anticipation of this law and, or law, in anticipation of the VAT to being introduced in January, which w- they anticipate will be in January 2018. And so they want to structure the business, b- restructure the z- business before then. And they want to do this so that to avoid the worst, whatever that means. But and they come to us for consultation, and we can't really consult on anything because there isn't really a law. There isn't really a framework yet that we can base uh, companies or, you know, or advice on how companies should and should not conduct their businesses and what they need to start thinking about in anticipation of this law. So I, wa- all I want to, the message I want to convey is that we need to be careful. Um, there are statements that are published in the media, but until, uh, until we see actual official source of their information, all those statements should be taken for granted and therefore no significant decision should be made until there is something in uh, official form. It's interesting you say that because I've seen a lot of people sharing on Facebook and Twitter today uh, various news articles about residential property sales being exempt. Indeed. And so... And I've actually spoken to a few, a few, if you will, experts or uh, or officials from various sectors of the economy, including the central bank, on that very topic. And at least one of the messages is that residential property, uh, well, it's not, it does, there will not be a difference between residential and commercial, and that is because effectively there's already, if you will, a tax that applies to the sale of properties, and that is the uh, the Dubai Land Department registration fee of four percent. So therefore, doing it again is basically effectively taxing the property twice. So the at least the, the again, but this is not codified yet. But uh, the the instructions that are coming from fairly high levels is that that particular um, segment of the economy will not be taxed. Now, 
new properties, however, and that is from the developers, may otherwise be ta- uh, subject to the VAT tax. And that is, for example, the off-plan properties or a property that is just being handed over for the first time, that that particular property may be uh, may be subject to tax. But again, this is just an annou- announcement that came from, um, from press, but... but has not been substantiated, so I would be careful on making too many decisions on the basis of that announcement. However, there was also an announcement that caused a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of, I guess, disconcert uh, regarding landlords, and that is that apparently the rental income will also be taxed. To me, that sounds again. There's nothing in the law we can we can refer to, but to me, that sounds more like an income tax, which I do not believe VAT tax. It does not equate to income tax. It's because you're not selling or buying anything if you're renting, are you? So exactly. It's not there's a value added transaction. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So again, it's all what you, my, my job as a lawyer is just. I can only give, give advice on the basis of what is officially uh, in existence, and right now there is nothing for us to either substantiate or validate or or, or disprove some of these representations that are going on in the media. So if somebody comes to you and you run a company and they say, well, look, I know what's going to happen. You need to take the advice that I'm going to give you. The the point is to step back here and think, hold on a minute. Actually, we don't know yet. That's the point. Indeed. And in fact, and this is what the client who came in today asked, well, when will we know? And when, when will you know? I said, I will know when I know what to do for my own business. Because obviously my business, what we do know as well is that VAT does apply to services. It's not just to goods. And so therefore, um, again, this, there, this is just statements. There are are certain sectors of the economy that will be exempt, such as certain aspects of the, uh, the educational sector and healthcare sector. So, but but otherwise, I think private services are all expected to be subject to this VAT um, VAT tax. So, therefore, my business as a law practice will also be subject. So, whenever I know anything, I obviously will have to incorporate those practices into my own business. So, I tell clients when I know what I need to do for my business, this is when I will be ready to consult you on your businesses. But that is interesting. I wonder if we're going to see a bit of a spike and people looking to buy property before the end of the year thinking I'll buy it now for any taxes applied for, for off-plan or new property? It could go both ways because we've also had a few concerned clients who uh, who are wanting to sell potential properties anticipating that they may have to pay this additional 5% uh, as a value-added tax. So, And this is why we... You know, I just my, my message is just be careful to make these kind of drastic decisions because that that particular principle has not yet been proven. Markets don't like uncertainty though, do they? That they much. don't like a vacuum as well, which is actually what we're seeing here is people mm. are filling the vacuum of the not knowing. Yeah. With speculation, correct, and and what and another complication with this particular subject here is that this is supposed to be a GCC wide tax, right? So and uh, well, I, it's not clear whether the tax will only be implemented when all the other countries are ready to embrace and are at the same stage, or whether it can be done gradually, country by country. It seems to me that if this, if this is supposed to be GCC, that they should all be ready at the same time. The Ministry of Finance, though, which tweets under the handle, I think it's Mofu which I quite like, um, did tweet that some countries would bring it in in the 1st of January, well, in January 2017, others that weren't quite ready yet, January 2018. Uh, well, January 2017. Sorry, you know what I mean, 2018, oh, oh, 2019. Perhaps, again, these are just, this is not something that I, I can really comment on intelligently because there isn't any legal source that we can refer to. So basically what people are waiting for is something written down in law because I know at the moment a lot of press reports um, they're, they're taking what people are being told. Tax consultants, for example, going to, to tax briefings with the Ministry of Finance. They're speaking to them afterwards saying, you know, what we told. So we're getting things second and third hand. Absolutely. And, and so the questions we're asking, well, what are the general principles 
principles of VAT? Well, I, I guess this is where some of these conferences and the events can be helpful. So from tax accountants, less so from lawyers, but from tax accountants and financial advisors, uh, they can perhaps share a certain guidelines, general gu- guidelines on how VAT works in other countries. But in terms of how these principles will translate into the UAE, I'd, just, I'd caution uh, to, to make decisions too hastily. Here's a question in from Omar. So, is it better to buy property now before VAT is applied? Answer, we don't know. We do not know, but what we have been told is that since there's already for a ready property that's not a brand new property, since there is a registration fee that's applicable, that's paid to the land department, that property should not be subject to uh, to additional tax or you know, be it income tax or VAT tax. So it should not be subject now or later. All right, Ludmilla Yamalava is here from Yamalava and Pletka Legal Associates. We have uh, time to answer your questions. If you have something that is on your mind to do with property, ostensibly, first of all, however, if there is a more broader topic that you would like to question Ludmilla about, text us in 4001 on the free app for no money. You can text for free or you can call in if you would prefer. Put your question directly to Ludmilla on 423-1010. This is Drive Live on Dubai Eye 103.8. Drive Live, it is Understanding Property. Understanding Property on Drive Live. Right, that's what the man says. Ludmilla Yamalava is here from Yamalava and Pletka. Let's jump straight into the text line, uh, Ludmilla, if we can. And here's one from Faisal. If a tenant defaults on a payment, his or her check bounces. What are the options as a landlord available? And I ask that because I have not vested interest. That would be entirely wrong. But I have uh, experience of this, I think is the best way to put it. I had a bounce check for... A few years ago, and it was a signature thing. The bank sent it back. My signature is a bit like a doctor's uh, handwriting, so it's understandable. But my landlord, uh, in my contract, I found there is a clause that says if you have any bounce checks, then we will charge you 1,000 dirhams, which is what happened. It was contractual. It was there. Is that standard is my first question. Well, with regards to your question, it is certainly common. Uh, It's not necessarily required. There's nothing in the law that requires for you to pay a penalty for a uh, bouncing a check to the landlord, uh, but those kind of clauses in uh, tenancy agreements are quite common. And if you if they are in there, and if you you agree to them, then yes, you're bound uh, to to pay that penalty. I, I did pay my rent, just in case you're wondering, because you're looking yeah, at I me. I was a bit wondering about funny. that. Yes, know, that was my follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, so then uh, now with regards to Faisal question, there are actually uh, two things you can do. So when you have a bounce check, and obviously you're a landlord in this case. So there are two things you can do. One is a criminal case, and the other one is a civil case. So a criminal case, a bounce check is a criminal offense. So you could just report that to the police, and then uh, it would be that that person, obviously your tenant, will ultimately fail, uh, face a jail, uh, jail sentence unless um, they pay the check. So, and it's a fairly, that's a fairly straightforward and expeditious process. So usually, the, if the, I mean, provided the person, the tenant is still in the country, they will get a call from the police, but you obviously need to go to the police and present the check and open the case. They will get a call from the police and they will be asked to come to the police station. And if they have money and they pay the check, then the case basically goes away. It doesn't go on your on, on their criminal record, uh, so. Uh, so that's that's a criminal side of things. But um, uh, otherwise, if you think that person is not here, uh, you could also do that and just have that criminal judgment in your favor. And then because 
what happens when you open up a bounce uh, a bounce check case, the person's name goes on what's called uh, often referred to as a blacklist. So mm. therefore, if that person, even if they're not in the country, but they re-enter the country at some point in time, they will be detained at the airport. And once again, until they pay the check, they will not be able to leave the country. So so that's the most, I guess, the most sort of straightforward and the least expensive uh, process. Um, but obviously, a lot of landlords do not want to do that because they don't want to put people in jail. They just they would like to give people more time to perhaps um, uh, comply with their obligations. So in th- in that case, if you just want to proceed, uh, the, the best way to do it is just pick up the phone, call your tenant, and see if you why they're not paying and what happened. And if they and if they can agree on some sort of a grace period, then I, I would recommend that that should be the the first strategy. Um, uh, otherwise, you can always file a case with the rental dispute uh, center because then it becomes basically a breach of contract. So when the person or the tenant does not pay their lease, there's a breach of contract. And so then the breach of contract gives you the right to terminate the contract and evict that person. Uh, so to do that, you would have to file a case in the uh, in RDC, the Rental Dispute Center, and proceed through the civil um, path. Okay. How easy is it, Lumina, to actually evict someone? We've just had someone text in to say, hi, I've got court ruling that my non-paying tenant has to leave, they have to pay all their dues and pre- present the final deal bill, etc., etc., but they refuse to vacate. So what's the next step? How do you physically get someone out? It's uh, quite interesting because, yeah, it doesn't stop there. And it, we see a lot of a lot of tenants or who are very worried or about having even a, a case filed against them and they just want to put things behind them amicably because they're just worried about even having a name or their name filed with the, with the courts. But then there are others who already have a final judgment against them and they're still remaining on the property and they just don't really care about it. So it's, it's quite see, interesting to see the dichotomy in people's mindsets. Um, so, but it, these cases are not uncommon. Uh, we, have, uh, we have encountered many tenants like that with the final court judgment. They still remain on the property until basically they're physically removed from the property. Now, to do that, number one, you need to make sure that the, the, um, the judgment is final. So there is usually uh, a time to appeal. It's about 30 days to appeal. And then from there, you need to file with RDC uh, a case for enforcement. And then th- at that point, they will serve the other party with the enforcement proceedings and give them 15 days for amicable payment uh, before they start chasing the assets uh, and um, either chasing the assets depending on what you ask from the court or actually evicting them and so at that point you can actually approach they will issue uh, an order with which you can approach uh, uh, the the police and then they can appear at the property and basically serve the tenant with that order, um, with the eviction order. But you want to be very careful that you do that with the authorities um, uh, present because we've also seen a number of uh, landlords who just want to go and re-enter the property but you can face all sorts of liability because then you can be accused of, for example, you don't know what property may be in in, in that uh, in the premises and so you can be accused, for example, of stealing the, the, uh, the property. So you want to be careful so when you do re-enter property, even though they've they failed to, fa- to pay you in the past and there's a court judgment against them, still you cannot just re-enter with your own key unless you have an official uh, repre- government representative there with you. So have somebody with you. Uh, when you said chasing uh, assets, seizing assets there, uh, what do you mean by that? What assets? Okay, so, can you so yeah, because if there is a money judgment, so it depends on what the judgment is for. If it's for eviction, then you show up there uh, with, uh, with other court bailiff or the police at the premises and serve that person with an eviction notice. So you'll be, your remedy, what you're asking 
for the person to leave the premises. But but it, the judgment could also be for unpaid rent. It could be both for eviction and unpaid rent, right? Because you're evicting somebody, but they also may have rent due to um, uh, for past uh, you know for past months. So you actually have two parts in the judgment that you're chasing. One is actually physically removing the tenant, and the other one is actually getting your debt paid. So for that, the chasing of the assets, then you uh, you would ap- apply to the court to write various uh, authorities to see where that tenant has assets. So for example, banks. And it obviously helps to have names of where the ba- the tenant may have bank accounts. You could also um, have uh, the court uh, reach out to RTA for any kind of car assets uh, or uh, or company or DED or any other free zones if you know the, the tenant um, owns some other assets. And then the court will have the authority to see those assets and either liquidate them in favor of um, paying the judgment. Obviously, it's easiest if you have a bank account because if the bank account has sufficient funds, then the court will just take that money and, and uh, f- uh, transfer it to the litigant. Uh, otherwise, if it's a car, then you have to go through the auction process and all that. But these things are done here quite commonly. Okay. Um, questions for Ludmilla? Drop us a text. Call us four two three ten ten four zero zero one is the text number. If you have the app, you can text for free. Get questions in as soon as possible. We've got a lot to get to. Um, we're going to come back and talk about some of those in a few moments' time. They don't necessarily have to be property related. It is, however, understanding property until five o'clock. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye. 103.8. Stripe Live. It is uh, Understanding Property this afternoon. We'll go to the phone lines in a second. Understanding Property on Drive Live. Ludmilla Yamalova is our legal guest, our legal expert in the studio as ever. It's not strictly property questions that we are looking at this afternoon. If you have a question for Ludmilla, feel free to text it or call it in. Joe is on the line, uh, I believe. Joe, you uh, were employed. Can you hear me okay, Joe, first of all? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good of you to talk to us. You were employed by somebody who left the country, is now back, I believe, and is claiming that they can't compensate you. Is that pretty much the long and the short of it? Uh, The person has left the country and uh, has not come back. So I've been to the labor and labor asked me to go to the court, um, you know, because they didn't show up. And I was told that I would need to pay um, 6% or something for the court fee. And the legal advice that, that was given to me is that you know, I will only be able to get anything back if they come back because there is no um, you know, assets for the company. And they have started another company in a completely different person's name and a different local sponsor. So essentially, I was told they have used a loophole in the law so that you know they cannot be caught. And they, work, uh, they operate the new company uh, remotely sitting in America and in, in India, two guys. Okay. Uh, thoughts on that, Ludmilla? Well, you've been advised correctly, which is for you to bring a case unless they obviously pay to you voluntarily. The only other way um, you can have uh, an action is through the courts, uh, an enforceable action. So for, to do that, as is, is you're correctly advised, is to, you need to approach the labor court and then uh, pay the 6% of the filing fee. Uh, and um, uh, but it's of the claimed amount, whatever it is that you believe that they claim. Now you will be, you'll be proceeding after the company, not the individual, but the company. And presumably, depending on how the company is structured, if it's a sole establishment, um, there it will be treated differently from, for example, an LLC. If it's a LLC, it is an LLC. It's, if it's a LLC, it's a limited liability company. And therefore, the uh, the company's liabilities are limited only to the capital, the share capital of the company, uh, which in in this I, I don't know if you know what the share capital is, and therefore five hundred thousand. Okay, so and uh, so and what is your claim amount? 
200,000. So, so obviously the share capital actually is sufficient uh, for them to uh, to cover your uh, your dues. Uh, so it sounds to me, unless the company has been dissolved and closed altogether, and I don't know if you know that because it's not easy to find out that information. It, it may it be... Not- there's still visas on the company. Well, then, then you should just proceed by filing a, a court case uh, through the uh, ministry, so through the labor courts. Uh, and uh, if it sounds like you have a legitimate claim, and therefore, if the company is still in existence, it will not be able to do anything uh, until they pay that court judgment. Which means, for example, if they want to hire anyone, and this is under the no, MOU, they, they don't uh, intend to do anything with the company. They're just leaving this company with all liabilities because they have, you know, started a new company in a new person's name altogether. <laughs> Sure, but you can you can only leave the company uh, for so long because, as you said, if the company still has several people under their visas, those people the visas will expire one sooner or later, right? The license will expire sooner or later, and they will there will be charges that will start incurring after those dates, uh, both to the company and to the individuals who are continuing to be on the expired visa. So, if you have a final court judgment, transferring to the new company, so essentially, you know. But you see, that's why you need to move fast with your employment case because if there's a case lodged and if there's a if there's actually a judgment there, they will not be able to transfer those individuals to other companies. They will not be able to close the company. They will not be able to renew the license until they have settled that judgment. So you need to move very fast. And the labor courts are actually very efficient. Um, so you will, you may be able to secure a judgment within just a matter of a few months. So, But it is in your interest that you move fast because it sounds like they're not going to come forward to you and, and offer it to pay voluntarily. So you need to preserve your right. And the only way to do it is through the court judgment. And as long as the person is still in town, as long as the company is still active, you should most definitely... I mean, it's a very, uh, very significant amount. So I'd recommend that you proceed with um, that route. Okay. And if they don't intend to come back and the... Uh it doesn't matter because the company still has assets, right? Their company and also the company has people uh, registered to it. There is a manager and then there are shareholders. And so they will at least, in the very least, be liable to the extent of their share capital, which is 500000 Plus the manager There's will personally be liable. in country. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, so there, there will be, if, if the company cannot, uh, it does not comply, then it, it, the individuals uh, that will then have to carry r- the responsibility, like the manager, for example. The manager may be detained if the judgment is not paid. So the manager is one of the owners who has fled the well, there you, well, well, but there, so they, will, could, they could look at the shareholders, right? And, and one way or the other, so if you think there are people that they're setting up another company, chances are that they will be back in the country. So if you have a court judgment and if, it is, if, it's, if it's unpaid, it becomes a debt and, the, and an unpaid debt also becomes here is a criminal offense so you can enforce it and therefore the next time the person comes back into the country uh, then they will face liability yeah, as far as I know they're not intending to come back to the country because they have uh, you know bounce check cases against them and one of them was wanted for those so they don't intend to come back to the country as far as I know yeah moment. so it becomes a personal decision if you know for a fact that the company has no assets and that this court judgment is never going to be uh, covered um, because they have no money here that you can reach I mean then that's that's, that's and if you know that for a fact then yeah. uh, you know your decision then you just move on and find something else to do but uh, but if you think there's a chance they'll come back or that the company still has money or assets, or, for example, the company owns an, uh, a building or an office or uh, computers, any valuable possessions in the office that could be sold as part of the liquidation. They do own uh, a building, but in, in the sense of, of apartments uh, in the IFC, but uh, that is uh, mortgaged to Amlak Finance or something, and it is supposedly unpaid there as well. So. 
Well, I don't know that special, really. Yeah, I mean, so you need to, it sounds like it's, you've made up your mind already, but uh, it sounds like, the, to me, it sounds like it's, it's a party against who has assets in one form or another, so it may benefit you just to have a judgment. So you pledged uh, to a bank or something like that that is still enforceable uh, with priority to the labor case? Or? No, it wouldn't be It wouldn't be priority to uh, to the bank, but there, you, there could be some other assets that you do not know about. So the only way you'll find that out is by having a formal court action and, and the court basically uh, requiring that information from the authorities officially, because you don't know. Maybe there is a bank account that has money on it. So, but if mm-hmm. you have all the answers, if you know, then it sounds like your decision, you've already made the decision. Joe, we're going to have to move on. I hope uh, the advice helps you there. Appreciate you calling. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. It's horrible to hear uh, cases like that. It really does sound like uh, Joe has kind of made up his mind, uh, unfortunately. Let me come back to another text that came in a little while ago uh, for you, Ludmilla, and it was this. We were talking about uh, bounce checks, what landlords can do if a check does bounce, should there be a clause in there, etc. But this came in, no name. In the case of a bounce check, can banks deduct charges? Simple answer, I suppose, is... Uh, yes, yeah. they can, especially if the terms and conditions provide, and most banks, uh, they do have a clause to that effect. Okay. Uh, Zahib texts in, the owner of my building has changed. The new owner has levied new maintenance charges. Familiar story for anyone who renews uh, a contract, despite the fact that the maintenance has always been part uh, of my contract, has been for eight years. Can I refuse to pay the fees? Uh, well, it sounds like for now you can because unless you have been served with the fact that there's a new owner uh, in play, actually an eviction really, um, which doesn't sound like the case, that new owner, when they buy the building, they basically buy the, buy the building with the same liabilities and the same commitments. So therefore, they cannot just come in now and dictate new terms. You have to agree to them unless they want to evict you. And if they evict you, then at that point they can, they can set new terms and conditions. But otherwise, whenever you buy an asset, you buy with all the assets assets attached to that asset. And in this particular case, that your lease agreement is a liability that's attached to the asset, and therefore they're bound uh, to respect the terms and conditions of, of your lease unless you agree otherwise. So the remainder of that lease, plus 12 months effectively, if an eviction notice is served, that's Correct. Really how it works, Cor- correct. So basically, for them to change anything, they would effectively have to serve you with, it, with an eviction notice. What about one that I know has been in the press recently, or is the Arabic press, when it comes to serving notice to defaulting tenants, which is where we sort of started today's discussion? Do you actually have to serve the tenant directly? Or if they're not home, can you give it to the maid? Can you give it to the concierge? Can you give it to the guy washing the windows downstairs? What are the rules? Uh, yes, yeah, very relevant because you can lose the entire case just on the basis of defective service. And there have been uh, cases recently where uh, the landlord has pro- has shown as proof that the tenant had been served, um, a proof that the concierge of the building received the, the legal the notice of eviction. Uh, RDC has clearly stated that that proof is not sufficient. It's not legal proof in order to basically to activate uh, the grace period of 30 days for the landlord to, uh, to, impl- uh, to start a lawsuit because by law, it, before the landlord can file a case at RDC, it needs to provide the tenant with a 30-day day notice so that un- until the notice has been properly served, uh, they cannot start a, a rental case. Now, when you do serve notice to the concierge, that's not proper notice. Therefore, the clock starts ticking anew when it finally is served properly. And to serve it properly, it actually needs to be either 
either given to the person directly or uh, or uh, attached to their residence, and they usually would be done by a court clerk, court bailiff. When you say attached to their residence, are we talking about an envelope sellotaped to the front door? Correct, yes, but it would be done by a court bailiff. So it's, it's actually a court representative that will come and, and glue the, uh, the notice on the door. So like in the movies, you've been served. Correct. Almost, it works here as well. We oh, live in a movie. I didn't know that. Um, oh, I knew we lived in a movie. Charles is on the line, uh, joins us now. Charles, you set up a company, but you used personal checks, which unfortunately have bounced. What did you want to ask Ludmilla? Yes, exactly, uh, uh, Miss Yemela. Now, what happened is that I've set up this company with an investor sometimes last year, and then uh, the arrangement was that she brings in the money, I run the company for her. Now, after the time we setting up this company, there was no company check, so uh, she had asked me to provide my personal checks, which I did, you know, uh, you know, so that we can set off uh, some of the charges that we uh, uh, we have from the from the free zone. Now, uh, after some months, you know, she went back to India, and I couldn't get in touch with her. And then, uh, well, definitely, the, 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 I didn't provide any funds in my bank account, so the, the check got banked. I lost contact with this lady. And I was just wondering now, you know, it has been uh, some times now, I was just wondering what are the legal options that the free zone has, you know, and how can I approach to resolve this matter? Because I know for sure, down the line, this might cause some problems for me. Okay, well, it's a multi- multifaceted question or scenario, so let me try to address some of the, the I guess, the, the more... Uh, straightforward uh, aspects of it. So number one, with regards to the checks, has she cashed those checks? The checks you gave to her. Has she cashed your checks, your personal checks? Has she no, 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 the check was cashed. I, I did not actually issue the check to her. I issued the check to the free zone. The, the check were issued to the free zone as part of the charges that she was supposed to pay to the, to the free zone. Okay. And so, yeah. and these checks, were they dated? Yes, yeah, the check were uh, PDCs. Okay, well, PDC, but does it mean, does it, did it actually have a date on the check? Of course, there, are date, there were dates on the checks. Okay, well, so if they had a date, all checks are valid only for six months. So if it's already been more than six months, uh, then it's not actionable. So let's say if it's been more than six months and then the free zone wants to, uh, to cash the checks, they will not be able to do so. So then in that case, you will not face liability. Otherwise, if the check is still active, um, mm-hmm. then they, will, they, can, they can pursue you. And unfortunately, the check is treated separately from the commercial transaction under which you issued it. So you will have to proceed... Uh, af- against your so-called partner um, through the civil court separately. But in the meantime, if they do cash the checks, you just need to prepare to have enough money to pay those checks uh, or face jail sentence. And uh, unfortunately, that's how the uh, how um, things here work. And this is why issuing personal checks or any kind of checks just have to be very cautiously done. Uh, but um, if, if you think that they've already expired, then you don't need to worry about it. Otherwise, be prepared to have enough funds to pay those checks or you, w- you may face jail sentence if the free zone, free zone obviously pursues you. Uh, but otherwise, let's say if you do that and now um, then you've paid those checks, then you can file a, a civil case against your former partner uh, for the refund of those uh, of those funds on the basis of obviously you have to provide some documentation of what your agreement was to show that you had made these commitments on her behalf, but she was actually supposed to reimburse you for them. So you will have to file your separate case, but, but be prepared as long as there are checks out there, be prepared to settle them. Okay, just, one thi- just one thing that you said that I wasn't care about is that I issued the check. They were they were dated, but the the check were actually presented into my account at the date that I had put there. Now you said that the validity is six months. Do you mean that if six months before the check were presented or 
six months if the check were not presented. Well, it sounds like if the checks have been presented, then they have already been cashed. But that's the oh. only way. So if they haven't presented, then the money has already gone out of your account. Then you you don't need to worry because the check will not the, bounce. The check were presented, but they, they got bounced. That was what actually happened. Oh, I see. So, well, then, yes. And in that case, and this is this complicates matter, because once the checks are presented and they bounce, then the, then, um, uh, the other party has two years to pursue uh, the repayment of that check. So it's so basically the, the timeline changes from six months to, to two years if the check has been presented and bounces. So you just need to be you need to be cautious because if, if the authority or whoever it is that holds the checks want to pursue you criminally, they can. So you need so to, the only way forward is, is for you to just have the funds to be able to settle them. So in this case, do they have the right to pursue me personally or to file a litigation against the company? Personal. They'll proceed, pursue personally because the checks were personally issued by you in your personal capacity. So they do not have to file anything else. They just need to go to the police and file the case. Charles, we appreciate you coming on. We're going to a quick break, but uh, good to have you on and good luck as well. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, questions coming in from Ludmilla. We've got lots to get to. We'll come to more property questions. Uh, it's a broader aspect uh, of questions today as well. So uh, more to come on. Understanding property. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I 1038FM. Understanding property this afternoon with Lud Miller. It is slightly broader than just property questions. I have a question for you from LSR, first of all. Uh, Lud Miller would have to go reasonably quick fire. LSR says, my landlord says I need to repair any AC problems. How to find out who's responsible for what? It's a villa. I live in Murdiff. In, in short, the law provides contract. that anything major is the responsibility of the landlord. Anything minor is the responsibility of the tenant unless parties agree otherwise so look at your lease agreement if it does not pass on that responsibility to you then you have a very legitimate argument uh, for the landlord to carry that expense but if they don't do it you just need to be prepared that in practice you may have to foot the bill first and then seek compensation later oh here's one i like from Vinny. my neighbor's going to give me his car park he doesn't have a car anymore however the landlord says that i have to go through him and pay him seven thousand dirhams technically the car park comes with the apartment so therefore should it be the right of the tenant to just give it anyone he wants uh, not necessarily, depending on how the agreement is, is, is leased or is, is drafted, but I, we have seen plenty of agreements that exclude car park unless it's, uh, you know, unless let's say it's a person, it's, uh, there's an additional charge for it. But then, but if there's nothing in the agreement and it is just you've rented your property with the car park, then it is correct, uh, Randy, you can claim that this is, is still your property and you've rented the, the property with the car uh, or with the car park and therefore you can do whatever you want to do with it. Is it not counted as subletting though? Because if I was leasing out my apartment, that would be subletting. It's a great question. It sort of becomes kind of a grey area, but um, it's it could be. I'm sure that the landlord could pursue that as that on the grounds that it's it counts as subletting. But it's a, lo- a lot more of a grey area than if you sublet the apartment. But also look at your lease agreement because the le- if the lease does not make subletting I- illegal, then you may have the right to sublet as well. You could put up tents in your car park. Well, you could. My question is, why did you bring it up in the first place? Why didn't you just do... How did the landlord even get involved? Yes, but that's good that you mentioned it, not me. (laughs) Probably. Please, on the check issues, Nasir texts in, what if the account's closed? Uh, Will you still be able to process a case against the bounce check? And if so, what is the duration to apply? Uh, the duration to apply is, again, the validity of the check is six months, so you better to b- better apply right away. But once it bounces after that, you have two years to file a case. And yes, you still can do even the account if the account is closed because the authorities will ultimately be able to figure out who owned the account and will be able to chase those individuals later if you have a final court judgment. Okay. Shazali takes in, I financed the property through uh, a bank. I'm currently living in it. If I end up renting the place, does the interest rate I pay change? 
Well, it shouldn't unless your bank clearly stated something else, which should not be the case. Uh, but I would, I mean, it's, it's a great question because we have seen a few of these mortgage agreements that, that have include a few surprises in them. So I would, I would um, review the agreement or in the very least, maybe let your bank know so that just to avoid any surprises down the road. Okay. Uh, other texts grabbing your attention, Brandy? Yeah, yeah, there's one that's just come in. Someone's given an undated check from my free zone company a long time ago, 2007. That company closed down a year later, so the company's closed, but there's an undated check out there. Is the signatory always liable to pay the amount even if the company is closed down? Should I be worried 10 years down the line? Uh, well, if the check is undated, then effectively no. However, the form format of the checks has or the has changed in the last um, several years. I think, if my memory serves me right, about three to five years ago. So now, if you have, it is possible the check that was issued in two thousand eight will not be valid anymore, only because the format of the check itself has changed over the years. So we have actually um, seen landlords requesting replacement of the checks because banks will not accept um, the old format. So in that case, yes, you should be worried. Uh, but if if not, if it's the same check, then you don't need to worry. And the fact that the company has been closed, or it's again, if you have a valid court judgment, you can always later on move on that. Uh, or enforce that court judgment against the individuals that were involved in the company. Okay, let's just do one more question There's very a POA. quickly. There's an interesting question about the POA. Uh, yeah, let's do that one. I'm the POA of a branch office whose uh, head office is based in Malaysia. I want to ensure that they all follow the UAE labour law. I'm the manager, first employee here, open the office in a free zone. Labour contract first, second party uh, was me. How can I ensure they follow the UAE labour law correctly, uh, correctly and end of service benefits correctly? Well, it sounds like you signed the uh, you signed the, the the contract for the free zone, and so that would be a standard contract. So your your rights and obligations would be already uh, I guess drafted or outlined in that agreement. But otherwise, you don't really need to worry about what's on paper because the labor law clearly sets out what your rights and obligations are under the labor law. So even if there is not a piece of paper that says this is an employment contract, you still can uh, you will you will be treated as an employee, and you will uh, uh, will uh, be entitled to benefit from the rights uh, of the employee. Law. Now, how you can um, ensure whether they follow it, I mean, that's the only way for you to do it is either seek legal advice or, or read the law yourself and make sure that they follow everything by the book. Um, otherwise, whenever the time comes for you to part ways, you just, then at that point, I would recommend that you seek legal advice and make sure that your end of service benefits, which you asked a question about, uh, are properly calculated and, uh, and you just need to be ready to substantiate your calculations at that point in time. And if they don't abide by it, then you can always file a labor case. Okay, that's understanding property and legal matters for today. Ludmilla Yamalova is from Yamalova and Plathgate. It's always good to have you in. Appreciate it, Ludmilla. Always a pleasure.